As we think about financial fears, it's clear to me that these fears come in all shapes and sizes. We worry about our income and we worry about our expenses. We worry about too little money and we worry about too much money. We worry about inflation and we worry about recession. We worry about debt and we worry about our investments. We worry about our employment and we worry about our retirement. We worry about rising fuel and utility costs. We worry about taxes. We worry about tithing. We worry about insurance and health care expenses. We worry about wills and trusts and estate planning and inheritances. We worry about having too much month at the end of the money. Did you know that the Bible instructs us not to worry about such things? Follow along in your Bible as I read Jesus' words. Here in Matthew chapter 6, we pick it up with verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As I study through these verses, I see at least five reasons why we should not have financial fears. First of all, it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Matthew 6, verse 25, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And the obvious implied answer to Jesus' question is yes. (laughs) There are a lot of things in life that are more important than food and clothing. I mean, do we honestly think that life is made up, the essence of life is all, out what we eat and what we wear? Oh, well, before you answer that too quickly, advertisers would like us to believe so. You ever thought about that? Think about all the ads you see and you hear. They're almost all about what you eat or how you look. And it's unreasonable. Second, it's unnatural. <laughs> it's just plain unnatural. Jesus continues, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. See, the point is that nothing else in all of God's creation, including birds and flowers, ever worries. Only human beings do so. Why? Because the plants and the animals know that God will provide for them. It's all a part of His design. It's the natural outcome of God's creative order. And to believe or behave otherwise is just unnatural. Third, it's unproductive. It's unproductive. Jesus asked this question, Matthew 6 verse 27, Can any of you by worrying add a single hour? to your life? And the answer is no. No No one (laughs) might take away an hour from your life. I mean, does worrying increase your income and pay your bills? Of course not. Worry and fear over financial matters never accomplishes anything of value. It is completely unproductive. Fourth, it's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Look again at Matthew 6 and verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, the bottom line is that God has promised to take care of our essential needs. Food, clothing, shelter. Financial fear actually comes from a misunderstanding of who God is and what He does. It comes from our little faith. You know what little faith is, right? Little faith is faith that believes in God for our salvation, but does not believe in God for our everyday lives. And then finally, it's unbelieving. Just call it what it is, it's unbelieving. In Matthew 6, verses 31 and 32, Jesus instructs us, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Don't miss that word, pagans. Simply put, those who are far from God run after all these things, but not the people who are in relationship with God. If God is truly our Father, we believe Him, we know Him, we love Him, then we are living according to Matthew 6 and verse 33. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, as Christ followers, we aren't running after all these things. No, we are running after His kingdom and His righteousness. Our passion is to pursue God and His will. And in doing that, knowing that all these things will then be given to us because we have our priorities straight. And to live in any other way, well, it's just unbelieving. So here are five reasons why we shouldn't have financial fear from Matthew chapter 6. It's unreasonable, unnatural, unproductive, unnecessary, and it's unbelieving. My finances. The problem is our fear, our little faith. The solution is God's provision. God's 
provision. In the verses that we just read in Matthew 6, we see these phrases alluding to God's provision for us. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All these things will be given to you. Every one of those are promises of God's provision. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Philippians 4 and verse 19. My God will supply some of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Oh, you caught it. Okay, I just seen it if you're away. Let's read it out loud together the correct way. My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from God. We can bank on that. It's His guarantee that He will meet all of our needs from His limitless supply of resources. Now remember the threefold Biblical solution for fear that we've been emphasizing throughout this entire series. Truth, love, and faith. The truth is that God loves us so much, He has promised to provide for all of our needs. The question is, do we have enough faith to believe that He will do so? Now you might be saying to yourself, God isn't providing for all my needs. And I would ask, well, then why not? And from the Bible, I can find two reasons. Sometimes it's due to our confusion. (laughs) Our confusion. Because, let's be honest here, we confuse our wants with our needs. We want something so badly. We lust after it. We we long for it. We desire it. We pray for it. We, We go after it. We pursue it. We give our time and our effort and our resources to get it because we want it so very bad. And we wonder, why can't I have that? And God's saying, because you're getting things all skewed in your head. This is not a need. This is a want. I didn't promise to provide all your wants. I promised to provide your needs. And we got a little learning we need to do there. But there's also another part of the equation why God may not be providing for all of my needs, and that's God's conditions. God's conditions. In the Bible, there's almost always a premise attached to every promise. God says, if we do such and such for Him, that's the premise, then He will do such and such for us, that's the promise. In other words, God's promises are conditional. Certain conditions must be met for the promise to become a reality in our lives. That's especially true when it comes to God's promise of His provision. God's promise to provide for all of our needs is provisional. The promise is dependent upon my willingness to meet at least these five specific conditions. And so let's spend the rest of our lesson time today talking about these conditions together. The first one is, if I put Jesus first in my life. God will supply all of my needs if I put Jesus first in my life. 
The Living Bible paraphrases Matthew 6, verses 32 and 33 this way. Your heavenly Father knows perfectly well that you need them, and He will give them to you if you give Him first place in your life and live as He wants you to. And so, if I put Jesus first in my life, that's the premise, then God will meet all my basic needs. That's the promise. The truth is that any time I worry about financial needs, it reveals that I must have some misplaced priorities in my life. Anytime I'm anxious about my basic life needs, it's an indication that my values are probably skewed. God has created and designed us to put Him first before and above anything and anyone else. That's why the first of the two, ten, uh, first two of the Ten Commandments, God says, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol. He's kind of saying the same thing twice because he has a point he wants to make. Anything or anyone that we put above or before God is an idol and will become a source of worry and stress and fear for us. Why? Because he or she or it was never meant to be first. It's out of order. And if I put a relationship first, that relationship will be a source of anxiety for me. If I run after all these things we've been talking about here in Matthew 6 first, then they become a source of stress in my life. Instead, I need, we need to put Jesus first. And if and when we do that, God promises that all these things will be given to you as well. Paul summed it up this way. Warn people not to be proud or to trust in money and things that are easily lost. Tell them to trust first in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. But we've got to get this straight. So number one, God has promised to meet all my needs if I put Jesus first in my life. Number two, if I pray and expect an answer. God has promised that He will supply my needs in life if I pray and expect an answer. The second condition is simply the prayer of faith. James 4 verse 2 hits the nail on the head when it says, you do not have what you want because you do not Ask God for it. <laughs> Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7, Everyone who asks will receive. As bad as you are, you still know how to give good gifts to your children, but your heavenly Father is even more ready to give good things to people who ask. What's Jesus saying there? If I, as an imperfect parent, know how to meet the needs of my own children, how much more will God, as a perfect father, meet the needs of of His children. And the fact is that God is longing to meet our needs. He's just waiting for us to ask. As a matter of fact, 40 times in the New Testament, we are told to ask God. <laughs> ask God. Ask 
God. Why? Because God wants us to ask him like any parent wants their child to ask him or her. God, as our perfect father, wants us to show and to speak our dependence upon him. He is waiting for us to ask. He wants to meet our daily needs. He just wants us to ask him in faith to do so. Now let me get really practical here for a moment. If you want to see God provide for your basic needs, if you would like to experience some pretty powerful answers to prayer, if you desire God's power to be at work in your life, let me give you a little principle to put into practice. Before you pay for it, pray for it. Before you pay for it, Pray for it. Before you go into debt for something, why don't you give God a chance to give it to you first? Before you charge something on your credit card, why not ask God for it and give Him an opportunity to answer your prayer? So many times I believe we short-circuit God's provision in our lives with plastic (laughs) called Visa, MasterCard, American Express... Does it ever cross our minds that if we truly have a need, God might just be waiting for us to ask Him so that He can provide us? Does it never cross our minds? Let's read Jesus' words in John 16, verse 24, out loud together. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. God, he just wants to bless us. He wants to give us joy. Well, we got to ask him. Think about that. Next time you go to charge something, stop. Have I prayed about this first? Maybe God just wants to provide it. So number two, God has promised to meet all my needs if I pray and expect an answer. Number three, if I obey God's financial principles. God has promised that He will meet our basic needs in life if I live, if I obey God's financial principles. Do you know the Bible is filled with hundreds of such principles? In fact, there are more verses on money management than perhaps any other single topic in all of Scripture. Verses on earning and spending and saving and investing and lending and giving and budgeting and much, much more. Why would God give us so much information about that? Because God knows that more than anything else in life, how we handle money and things is a true measure of our character. And God also knows that more than anything else in life, how we handle money and things is a struggle for most of us. And therefore, God has given us some clear-cut, pragmatic rules, some timeless and proven guidelines to follow. If we obey these principles, we will succeed. If we disobey these principles, we will fail. Now, obviously, we don't have time to review all these principles in today's lesson. Actually, we'll be looking at some of these key principles in an upcoming series of lessons that I'm going to teach called Traces of a Trusting Heart in late September and early October. But for today's lesson, let me urge you just to start with the book of Proverbs. If you're still reading a chapter a day corresponding to the day of the month, for instance, this morning, it's August the 12th, so I read Proverbs chapter 12. If you're still doing that with me, I'm doing it every day. 
I encourage you to do that along with me. If you do that, you'll find that Solomon, the wisest and the richest man to ever live, has so much to say about the management of money and things. In fact, there are over 80 principles found in the book of Proverbs alone. Here's just a sampling, all from the Living Bible. Proverbs 11, verse 28. Trust in your money and down you go. (laughs) Trust in God flourishes a tree. Proverbs 22, verse 7, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, don't weary yourself trying to get rich. Why waste your time? For riches disappear as though they had the wings of a bird. (laughs) Proverbs 21, verse 20, the wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever they get. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord by giving the first part of all your income and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Well, you get the idea. (laughs) There are 80 plus proverbs like that rich in wisdom. And I encourage you to take a chapter a day and read through Proverbs over and over and over again, month after month after month after month. Just make it a part of your, your, your spiritual discipline to do that each and every day of your life, applying these timeless principles to your life. Because if you obey these principles, you will succeed. If you disobey these principles, you will fail. It's as simple as that. So third, God has promised to meet all of my needs if I obey God's financial principles. Number four, if I am content with what I have. God will supply all of my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus if I am content with what I now have. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Whoever loves money will never have enough money. Whoever loves wealth will not be satisfied with it. (laughs) In other words, the more we get, the more we want. Bible calls it covetousness, by the way. Catholic Church tells us that this is the one sin that is never, ever confessed in the confessional. I find that to be alarming. Because almost every one of us is troubled by this sin. And by the way, this is the one sin that is never, ever satisfied. You ever think about that? Because it always wants more. And sometimes we are so blind to our own discontent in our own lives, but we can sure see it in other people's, can't we? Listen in on this young couple. I think you'll see what I mean. So I pay $5 for a two-hour movie and then realize that my flight is only 90 minutes long. I mean, come on! I'm so tired. I think I slept too much. Mommy, the fridge is full. Babe, my coffee mug is too tall for the curing. What am I supposed to do with my leftover chicken if I heat this? I'm hungry, but I'm not, like, hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I don't even know if I'm hungry. It's 11 o'clock, and I don't know whether to eat breakfast or lunch. I think I'm hungry. I hate watching Blu-rays on this TV. It looks too real. I'm not even hungry. My phone is 4G, but we don't have 4G coverage where we live, so it's the worst. It's the worst. No, no! Oh! I clicked restart instead of shut down. 
I have to wait for it to start back up again so I can shut it down. I hate it. I'm like too healthy. I never get to use any of my sick days. Closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. My white noise machine broke last night and I didn't get any sleep. There's nothing to watch. There is nothing to watch. The bottom of my foot has been itching all day, but it tickles when I scratch it. I didn't finish brushing my teeth this morning. My battery died halfway through. I hate that. My hair smells like Starbucks. My hand smells like Starbucks. My iPad smells like Starbucks. That's the worst. Mm. <laughs> I lost it. Ah! Just shoot me. Ah, oh, just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. Kill me now. Just shoot me in the face. Wasn't I just chewing gum? I don't remember spitting it out. Crazy discontentment, the stuff we say sometimes, isn't it? Okay, so what is contentment, by the way? Contentment is not saying that I like where I'm at in life. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have financial goals or to aspire to improve my circumstances. Rather, contentment is saying that regardless of my circumstances, whether I have little or I have much, with God, I am at peace. Contentment says, I don't look to my circumstances to make me happy. I look to my personal relationship with God for my fulfillment. The Apostle Paul was a great example here. Let's read Philippians 4 and verse 12 out loud together. Would you read this with me? I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. We need to learn the recipe for that as well. And when God sees that we derive our fulfillment and happiness not from money and things, but from Him, then He delights to bless us. And so number four, God has promised to meet all my needs if I'm content with what I have. Number five, if I practice the law of the harvest. If I practice the law of the harvest, then God promises to supply my needs. And by the way, here is the law. Fill in the blanks there in your notes. The amount I harvest depends upon the amount I plant. The amount I harvest depends upon the amount that I plant. Or to put it another way, what I reap is determined by what I sow. Here's the law of the harvest expressed in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
It's, it's kind of like the farmer. <laughs> the farmer soon realizes he must plant <laughs> if he's going to have a harvest, right? And how much he sows determines how much he reaps. He doesn't plant five acres and then go out and expect to harvest 20 acres. If he has two sacks of feed, in fact, he has a choice. Well, I could feed my family on this feed for this year, and I won't have anything left. Or I can plant this feed, and then I could harvest it, and then replant it, and harvest it, and replant it, and harvest it perpetually, and I could feed my family for years to come. That's the law of the harvest. Let me restate it another way. When I have a need, plant a seed. When I have a need, plant a seed. When I have a need for friendship, what do I need to do? Be a friend. When I have a need for help, what do I need to do? Go give somebody some help. (laughs) When I have a need for money, I need to give money away. Yeah. That's the law of the harvest. You see, we always say to God, when all my needs are met, then I'll start giving to you, God. Then I'll start giving to others when all my needs are met. And God says to us, no, when you start giving, then your needs will be met. I know that sounds backwards, but that's just the way the law of the harvest works. Why does God do this? Because it is a test of our faith. Do we really believe, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work? Do we believe that? I wish I had time to say more. So number five, God has promised that if I practice the law of harvest, then he will meet all my needs. Five premises or conditions that I must meet. If I put Jesus first in my life, pray and expect an answer, obey God's financial principles, am content with what I have, and practice the law of the harvest, then God will meet all my needs. Fighting your fears. This morning we've looked at my finances. The problem is financial fear. The solution is God's provision. Abundant, abounding provision. Let's close by reading Psalm 11 and verse 5. How loud together. Read this with me. God provides for those who trust Him. He never forgets His promises. Isn't that great? Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us of these principles this morning. You have it all, God. You are able to provide above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine. But that promise comes with a premise. Help us to learn these conditions and put them into practice in our lives. Let us not live, O God, in 
fear. But let us live in obedience. Putting together these principles of truth and love and faith and applying them to this situation of money and things so that we would not have financial fears, but we would trust in You. You are the provider. You are the sustainer. And You have promised, God, that You would supply all our needs according to Your riches in Christ Jesus. And You never, ever break a promise. And so we trust You. Increase our little faith God, that we would have great faith in what you have said and what you've taught. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.